We ready? Yeah. I love that video so much um, because it strikes a chord in me of why we started Heart Church in the first place. And uh, I mean, obviously, we started Heart Church because God called us to start Heart Church. But there was, there was something in the heart of, of, of me that, that, and, and Heather that said, I don't want to just be the next shiny church on the corner. We have, how many know, we got lots of churches in Escondido. And, um, and, and Heart Church is not the only great church. There are some phenomenal churches. We're not, we don't have the answer, or, or, or we have the answer, Jesus, but, but we're not, um, you know, the, the only church that, that's got it. But, but I had a real heart, and Heather had a real heart for something specific. Um, and that is that we wanted to reach people who have, who have lost faith unnecessarily. Those people that, that maybe haven't given up on God, but they gave up on church. Anybody ever met somebody like that? Anybody ever been somebody like that? Like, it's not that I've lost faith in God. I believe there is a God, and I, I could probably even buy into Jesus, but like my church experience has been so not life-giving that I don't know that that's for me. And, and I think that if we're honest, um, that's most people's perception of, of church. And, and I think that there is a resistance of something that Jesus didn't teach, the New Testament doesn't teach. Listen, if people don't come to church because they're like, you know what, I reject Jesus, I don't believe he's the son of God, right? I don't believe he rose from the dead. I don't believe I need him. Man, those are, those are actually appropriate reasons for somebody to not come to church, right? At the core of who we are, for people to say, I don't come because at the core of who you are, I just, I just don't believe that and I'm not interested in that. We know that there's going to be a lot of people in our world that fit that category. But on the other hand, there is a lot of people that would say, no, I actually... I actually believe in Jesus. I'm just not sure if I believe in the church. That should be a holy, sobering reality for us. Come on, let's go after lost prodigals. Let's go after people that go, you know what? I know there's a God out there, and I feel like maybe he's even drawing me to himself. I just don't know what that looks like in church because my church experience has been so not life-giving. It's been so religious. It's been so judgmental. And I go and I don't feel close to God. I don't feel like I can measure up. I feel like I'm judged. And so where do I belong? Come on, let's be a family that redeems that experience for people. We're not the church for super spiritual Christians searching for the perfect church to fulfill their religious needs. Let me say that again. We are not the super Christian church for people who go, yeah, my church just didn't hack it, and so maybe I'm looking for another church that fits all of my religious boxes. We are not that church. Many have lost faith unnecessarily. Put that slide up because I just want us to I just want us to ponder this. I want us to be disturbed by this. I want, it to, I want it to affect us. Like people have lost faith unnecessarily. And what would Jesus say about that? What, what would he think about that? We are going after those people. And if we're honest, we were probably at some point in that category. Anybody with me? Anybody with me? All of us. 
all things new. You've heard me say things like, um, you don't need to do anything for God. If, 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 you've been, if you've been with Heart Church for any length of time, or if you've even watched a sermon or two online, you've heard things, you say things like, God isn't looking for you to behave. We don't work for God's acceptance, approval, or forgiveness. Now make no mistake, that isn't entirely what the Bible teaches. And so today, I'm going to tell a story. And, and I hope that it stirs us up on the inside just a little bit. I'm going to mess with some of you just a little bit. And I want you to know it's okay. It's okay for us to go, really? Like, man, that's blowing away everything that I learned when I was little. Everything I learned in Sunday school. If, if those thoughts are being messed with just a little bit, it's okay. It's okay. Jesus is good. His Holy Spirit is leading us. And everything I teach today is from the Bible, but it's from a portion of the Bible. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 15. You ready? Yeah. All things new. Acts chapter 15. And it'll be up on the screen. And this is a story. And it is probably one of the most epic, incredible, unbelievable stories hardly ever told. says this, when Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the Christians, unless you keep the Jewish law, law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Let me say that again. Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, argued forcefully. Finally, Paul and Barnabas set, were sent to Jerusalem to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. Jumping down to verse 4. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas reported on what God had been doing through their ministry. But then some of the men who had been Pharisees before they were converted stood up and declared that all the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. And so the apostles and church elders got together to decide this question. After a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows, Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God, who knows people's hearts, confirmed that he, don't miss this, accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through 
faith. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. And God, I pray that you would open up our eyes and our hearts to see something that maybe we've never seen before about this new and living way that you have opened up for us. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so can I take you on a little bit of a history lesson? Yeah. So, in the middle of this, Peter stands and says, guys, you know what happened to me. Well, so what happened to him was five years previous, he was in Joppa or Joppa or Jaffa, depending on who you are and what, what, how you say it. But it's a really cool place in Israel. I've been there. Uh, they're known for their oranges, by the way, which is kind of cool. It's the place that Jonah left from before he got swallowed by the whale. Uh, it's funny. Every time I say Joppa, somebody, every time I say the word, somebody uh, corrects me that it's said the opposite way. So it's either Joppa or Joppa. And then I get to Israel and the Jewish guy calls it Jaffa. So it's like, we're all wrong. Okay. Um, anyway, this cool city. Um, they're known for their oranges. In fact, Caesar loved the oranges so much. He had like, he had bartered with them and had like millions of oranges sent over to Rome because they're such incredible oranges. So if you can ever go to Jerusalem, you got to see Jaffa because it's right on the Mediterranean Sea. It kind of reminded me of like La Jolla Cove. It's incredible, really pretty. So Peter, five years ago, is in this really cool Mediterranean, you know, beach town. You can actually surf right there. It's amazing. And, and he's up on this roof, right? Why wouldn't you be up on the roof if you live next to the Mediterranean? There's a breeze. It's beautiful. And, and he has this vision. And, 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 and we'll see it in Acts chapter 10. He has this vision from the Lord. And basically, you remember the story where God is telling him, why call something unclean that I have made clean? And he's talking about eating pork eating something that they would never eat as Jews. Why? Why wouldn't they eat that? Well, because it specifically says you're not allowed to in the Jewish law, the law of Moses. And so God wakes up Peter. Now, mind you, this is 15 years after the resurrection that this is taking place with Peter. Peter's been radically saved. He's one of the leaders of the church. And he is literally leading this movement for people to radically get saved because of all that Jesus has done. And yet... He is still not only abiding by the law of Moses, but unaccepting of Gentiles. And why this was so big and why Peter was in this moment standing up in front of everybody and saying, guys, you remember this when this happened. Because something took place in my heart that was so radical that changed everything. And we see it in Acts chapter 10, verse 28. And this is what it says. Okay, so this is Peter in a Gentile person's home. He had the vision in Jaffa, and then God said, I want you to go to Cornelius' house, and I want you to interact with Gentiles. Now, for you and me, that's not a big deal, but for for a Jew, that was a no-no against the Jewish law. And he had a vision, and God was saying, I've done something new. And 15 years after the resurrection, Peter still hadn't got it. He got a vision, he went to the house, and this is what happened. You are well aware, this is Peter talking to the Gentiles, that it is against the Jewish law to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Translation, 
Until yesterday, when I had this vision up on the roof, admiring the Mediterranean Sea, I consider all of you impure and unclean. Why? Because you're a Gentile. And the law of Moses says, you are unclean. You are not our people. And you know what? He would be right. Scripturally. That is what his Bible teaches. Peter was explaining, next slide. The Jewish law is exclusive and excluding. But now Peter would say, I've realized that God has thrown open the door and everyone is welcome. So you and I are sitting here and all these years later, 2,000 years later, and we're like, isn't that kind of like the point? Everyone's welcome. I mean, you and I's idea of the Bible and what the Bible teaches is God loves everybody. God loves the world. Isn't that what we were taught in Sunday school? For God so loved the world. Like if you don't know any scripture, at least you know that one. For God so loved the world. But you just have to know that that's not what the Bible teaches. Don't miss this. And hopefully this gets you all worked up because it should. That is not what the Bible teaches. That's what the New Testament teaches. That's what the New Covenant teaches. You know what the Bible teaches? God mostly loves Jews. And he also loves the world. It just depends on where in the Bible you're reading. So Peter... He was going to Cornelius' house with the understanding of Scripture, the Old Covenant. God loves Jews, and he's rejected the Gentiles. They are impure. They were unclean, and I am, it is illegal for me to even step inside that door. So you can imagine Cornelius, and you can imagine the Gentiles. They're like, it's Peter. Walk on water, Peter. And he's in our house. What? And what took place? The Holy Spirit was poured out. They got radically saved and delivered, and it was this incredible thing. And Peter's standing here and saying, oh my gosh, you guys, I had this experience 15 years after the resurrection. I was still stuck on the law of Moses, and then God showed me there's something new happening in the world. And it kind of goes back to how we were given our Bible, right? Go with me. How when you and I were given our Bible, this is God's word. It's all true. Read it and do what it says. This is God's word and it's holy. Don't put anything on top of it. You ever got that teaching, right? Right? It's holy. Do you read it? Well, I kind of. Not really because it's holy, right? This is God's word. All of it. I believe that too. I believe it's God-inspired. I believe every word is God-inspired. But it's two glorious covenants. In fact, it's three covenants. A covenant to a person, Abraham. A covenant to a nation, Israel. And a covenant to the world, you and me. 
The problem is we mix and match covenants. And when you do that, you get the worst of both and you will never get the best of either. When you mix and match covenants, you will get the worst of both and never the best of either. This is going to be messing with us. The new covenants, I want to let you leave that up. The new covenants values and imperatives start, stand in sharp contrast to the values and imperatives of the old covenant. So we all know the Bible's broken up in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Duh, right? And we read all of it as you should. This is, God's never changed. And, and this is the part that really kind of like blows our mind. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews, right? He never changes. And so how that translates for us is we take the Bible out and we go, yeah, Leviticus, I don't know, man. Like the animal sacrifices and stuff. Like I'm just going to assume that that's not really what we still do. So we move on. But we haven't drawn a clear distinction between what it is that's going on in here. Because this is an incredibly controversial and contradicting book if you don't understand the covenants. If you try to take the old covenant and you mix it with the new covenant and you just throw out the animal sacrifices because that doesn't make sense and it's illegal. And so we're going to move on to something new. But you're going to take a little bit of Moses and a little bit of Jesus and we're going to make this religion. And what takes place is that people walk away from faith unnecessarily. Because we've created a religion that makes sense to us and looks good on the outside. But in the end, it doesn't provide transformation on the inside. And so Jesus came and he said, I came to fulfill the covenant. Why? Because I'm doing something new in the world. You ever meet somebody that's just passionate about like the Ten Commandments being on the courthouse lawn? Like we've got to bring the Ten Commandments back, right? You know who's not for that? Jewish people. And it's their law. Why? Because they're like, it's over. It's over. We're like, no, we've got to bring the Ten Commandments back. And I think the Jewish people are like, I don't think you've read it carefully. Because do you know what the, do you know what the Ten Commandments are? They're the table, of, the table of contents for the entire Jewish law. Do you know what the Jewish law is? Over 600 commandments. And this, 20 years after the resurrection, the, the godly people... Peter, James, the disciples. We're not talking about Pharisees that ran off Jesus. We're talking about followers of the way are saying, we need people to follow the law of Moses and get circumcised and accept Jesus through grace and faith. It's a mix and match. And you get the worst of both. The Ten Commandments are the table of con contents for this. Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 11. If two men are fighting and the wife of one of them comes to rescue her husband from his assailant and she reaches out and seizes him by the private parts, you shall cut off his hand. Her hand. Show her no mercy. Okay, maybe, no, maybe, we shouldn't, maybe we shouldn't do the Ten Commandments on the courthouse lawn, right? Maybe, maybe that's not a great idea. I get it, right? The, people get it now, right? There's a bigger picture here of what was really happening in the Old Testament. That is the law. 
of the Old Testament. Why don't we put something Jesus said on the courthouse lawn? Love your enemies. Why? Because we've got to have something to be angry about. <laughs> ah, like people gotta, people got to fall in line, right? You ever meet a preacher that's like angry about sin, happy about hell? They're just, they're just happy that sinners are going to hell. Angry at sin, happy about hell. That's the old covenant. That's prophets railing against the people. And if you read the Old Testament, you'd be totally justified. That's what prophets did. And Jesus came and he did something brand new in the world. Unfortunately, this is the thing that makes this beautiful, glorious relationship with Jesus stink like religion. And people walk away from faith unnecessarily. And it has nothing to do with something that Jesus taught or even Paul taught or the New Testament reflects. But it's our inability to help people understand our Bible. So back to the story. Some of you are glaring at me like, this is the last time I'm coming to this church. <laughs> this is a three-week series, so if you don't have your questions answered today, there's a great church down there. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so the Apostle Paul becomes a believer. So let me back up. So again, we're still in this story. They're still in, they're in Jerusalem, right? Well, backing up, the Apostle Paul, he got knocked off his, his horse, and then we created a you know, song about it, you know, Blinded by the Light. Um, and, uh, and Paul gets radically saved. And, and, and what takes place after God blinds him, literally physically blinds him for a couple of days, and then, and then, he, and then he receives his sight, and scales fell from his eyes spiritually. And he woke up from that, and he had extraordinary clarity about something that for the last 20 years the disciples have, were unable to see. And that was that these two covenants are incompatible. If you mix and match, you get the worst of both and you will never get the best, best of either. And Paul woke up and he said, this is my message. And so Paul goes to Antioch, which is 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And you know what takes place? Revival. And Antioch was the most pagan place on the planet. These people are not churchgoers. They're the absolute opposite. I mean, like absolute opposite of everything that, that, that the Jewish law would stand for. Pagans. And Paul goes up there and he says, you know, guess what? Jesus has done something new. And you can have inner transformation if you accept the work that Jesus did and people start getting saved. And for years, for two years, there's just this revival taking place in Antioch. It's incredible. So James and Peter and, and all the other disciples and apostles and people who have been following the way, this church is growing in Jerusalem, but it's very Jewish. Again, this is 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. It's not one year after, two, 20 years after this is still going on and all of a sudden there's a revival of non-Jews experiencing Jesus and not following the law. And so the, the, the apostles, they just say, this is, this is not right. And so they send people up to Antioch and they say, okay, here's the deal. Let's go good cop, bad cop. Paul's the good cop and he's going to tell them good news. 
Jesus died for your sins. Isn't that good? And then Paul moves on, and then bad cop says, he didn't tell you the whole story. There's a surgery involved. (laughs) You got to get circumcised. And then there's 600 laws that you have to follow, but it's okay. You don't have to do it all at once. There's this is stages, right? So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna bring you in to stages in this thing. We're going to start out with saved by grace and then slowly move on. We're going we're gonna to put like a little medical pod outside the church and you drive up and it's like, here we go, honey. This is it. This is my next stage. I'm ready for it. We're going to get we're going to get the surgery. Right? Can you imagine the guy who had the message of grace and then drives up to church one day and it's like the red cross is outside? And he's like, "Honey, um I'm going to drop you off and I'm going to have to think about this one. I'm not quite all in yet." Right? So I'll pick you up after service. And if they ask about me, tell them I'm sick. Tell them I got the COVID. But this is what was happening. Paul preaches, Jesus accepts you. He loves you. And that's it. And, 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 and the religious people, they come by high and they say, that's a good message. It's just incomplete. Have you read your Bible? Because there's a lot in here that would tell you that's not enough. How much is good enough? And if we're not careful, that's the message we send. Read your Bible and do it. And we bury people. So Paul said, no, not on my watch. And they get into a serious, serious argument. This is the Apostle Paul. I mean, he's going blows with these people. Not on my watch. We are not going to put a yoke of bondage on these people who've just gotten radically saved. There is revival taking place. So they go back to Jerusalem. 20 years after the resurrection. So, okay, Shane, that's great. I'm glad you told us the history lesson. It's super cool. How does that relate to us? I mean, we would never mix and match Moses and Jesus. Have you ever seen a young girl shamed in church for a nose ring? You ever heard a young man being lectured in church for his blasphemous tattoo or talked about behind his back? Or a preacher scolding his flock for their lack of devotion and demanding a holy life as God commands? How about a couple rejected by the church because they got remarried after they had been divorced? Forgive us, Lord. Do you know what the message of the Old Covenant is? It's make the outside of the cup really shiny. Make the outside of the cup look really good. And like, we're smart enough to know that that's stupid. And yet we keep doing it, and we keep doing it, and we keep doing it. Jesus' main conflict when he was here on earth was religious people saying, Jesus, you're not focusing on the outside of the cup enough. You know what they called Jesus? A drunkard and a glutton. 
because he sat, ate, and drank with sinners. I love Jesus. I think he's amazing. And I think if he were here, we could learn a lot about our religion. The New Covenant teaches that making the outside of the cup shiny doesn't do anything for inner transformation. Do you know what we, knew, we learn in the New Covenant? Sin doesn't make God angry. Sin breaks his heart. Because sin breaks people. And so anything that breaks you breaks God. So here's the agenda of the meeting. What is the Gentiles' relationship with the law of Moses? Translation, what is our relation to the first three quarters of our Bible? See, God never changes, but our relationship with him has. The old covenant was a glorious means to an end. The old covenant was a setup. It was a shadow. It talks about in Hebrews. Is this, it was like our mentor guiding us along. The law, the rules, the regulations. It was a guidepost until Jesus came. And when Jesus came, all of it finished because he completed it. Amen. He completed it. When he said it's finished, that's what he meant. The rules and the regulations that were against you because you don't follow them have been completed. And that is our relationship with him. And so what, what would Peter say? 15 years into this thing, Peter is still not going into a Gentile's home because he is not convinced, not only that you not have to follow the law, but that there's certain people that God just doesn't accept. And this is what Peter would say in, in Acts chapter 15, verse 10. Why are you now questioning God's way by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserving grace of the Lord. Period. This is the message of the new covenant. It took Peter 20 years to figure out that Christianity was not Judaism 2.0. That Jesus isn't an and. He's an instead of. What would James say? James stands up as the leader of the church and he makes, listen, James didn't have a Bible. Let's see what 1 Corinthians has to say about this. Like, there was no Bible back then. They were the Bible. They had the old covenant and they had the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And they're saying, all right, let's, let's go with what God is doing because apparently he's done something new. This is what James said. When he had finished, James stood and said, it is my judgment that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. That we would 
acknowledge and accept. Your covenant is practically irresistible. This is the message of the church. This is the message of Heart Church. It's the message that we get to shine every single day. It's that your covenant is practically irresistible. Now listen, there's a reason to reject the church and there's a reason to reject what we do because if you reject Jesus, if you reject him being the only way, if you reject that, that he has done something new in the world and that we need to accept him, those are good reasons to not come to our church, right? That's what we stand for and that's what we believe. But if people are losing faith because somehow we've mixed and matched, listen guys, we got to live this life that's in accordance with the entire Bible. And so we mix and match the rules and the regulations. Why? Because it makes us feel better. It can't be that easy. It just can't. You know, in the religious world, you're either somebody that gets absolutely pummeled by the law or you've sim somehow risen above it and you've made people feel, you've made others feel less than because you're the religious. You're either the victim by it or you're the perpetrator, right? Like that, that's the way it is, right? You're either a Pharisee or you're the somebody that's just getting hammered, right? Why? Because... Rule, that's what rules do. They either make you feel really good because I've followed them and I'm better at it than you. You ever make, met Christians that just make you feel like they think they're better? I mean, speak to me here, people. Am I the only one that have encountered that from religious people? I'm better than you because I follow it better. Jesus never made somebody feel like that one time in his whole life. Your covenant is practically irresistible because it's this simple. God loves you so much that he prepared the world for thousands of years for one day he could bring Jesus to come and fulfill all of those regulations. And so now what's asked of you, it's not a 600 things, it's not 100 things, it's not even 10 things. It's one thing. It's this. That you would acknowledge and accept what Christ has done for you and then don't miss this. And then live that. I'll tell you what, this makes religious people so angry. What do you, what do you mean? What about holiness? What about, what about all the things that we have to do? Next week, I get to tell you what this looks like and then live that. Because don't make a mistake, there are all kinds of practical ways to live. But I can tell you this, don't miss this. It has absolutely nothing to do with the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant is completed. And what we live now is from the platform that Jesus saves, we accept, and it's finished. And now we get to love that from the platform of loving God with all of your heart. And when we don't do that, God knows that we will have an idol. And do you know what idols do? They break us. 
and it breaks his heart. And then we get to love others. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. And God wants us to live in such a way that honors and elevates others. And so this is the new mandate, and it's life-giving, and it's freeing, and it's incredible. And more importantly, it produces life change on the inside. And so you can walk with Jesus, and every day you become more holy on the inside because Jesus is doing a work. And listen, we may have people in this church that the outside of their cup looks all kind of messy. We're not looking at the outside of the cup. What's going on on the inside? What's going on on the inside? Is, are you allowing Jesus to transform you on the inside? Are you allowing him to uproot those things that are hurting you and breaking you and breaking others and transforming you on the inside to become more like Jesus? And when we're more like Jesus, the faith that we exemplify makes unsaved people, makes lost prodigals, makes people who have all kinds of misconceptions about church, it makes them want to lean in and go, what are you about? What are you doing? What message do you have? Because that's not the message that I have received from the church, but it is our message today. Hopefully, all of this is just exciting enough or disturbing enough to bring you back next week. I want to end with this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. This is Paul talking, by the way. By his death, Jesus has opened a new and life-giving way for us to approach God. For our hearts have been sprinkled with blood to remove impurity, and we have been freed from an accusing conscience. Now we are clean, unstained, and presentable to God inside and out. Will you stand to your feet with me? Come on, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father God, uh,